Okay, we're going to begin here on the bottom of Kufav Amadbed by the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, Yeshav achad alapetach velo miyulu. This one individual sat in the door opening. He doesn't fill it out. Yeshav asheni umilu. And then the second individual sits down. And together with the first individual, now they filled out the door. Chayav. The second one is Chayav because he's the one that completed sealing the house, locking in the animal that's inside. So he's the one that's going to be culpable for the trapping. First individual sat down at the doorway and he filled it out. And then a second individual came down and sat near him. Second individual is unnecessary because the first one already blocked the door. Even though now the first individual gets up and leaves. First one is Chayav because he's the one that executed on blocking the door. He's the one who did the melacha atzad. The second individual who came here was unnecessary and even extraneous when he sat down. He didn't need to be there. And even without him, the whole melacha would have taken place. But then when the first one gets up, he now becomes the block to the doorway. Nevertheless, the Mishnah says that he is patur. Because when he sat down, at the moment that he sat down, he hadn't done anything. So when number one gets up, then... We don't hold the second individual who sat down culpable just because he's there now. Ha, the ma zedume. What is this similar to? The noel et beto lishomro. Person closes the door to his house, locks the door to his house. Venimtza tzvi shamur betocho. And suddenly he realizes that there is an animal inside. Person's not locking the door, closing the door because there's an animal inside. He's locking the door, he's closing the door because he's leaving his house. That's what he does every time he leaves his house. He walks out the door. Locks the door and then he leaves. And all of a sudden he realizes that there's an animal inside the house. The mission over here says that that's not problematic. And so too, this individual over here, when he sat down, he did nothing wrong. All of a sudden the other person gets up and now he becomes the block to the doorway. That's that sudden realization that there's a tzvi in the house after you've locked the door. Both of those are considered to be okay, considered to be not problematic. Oh, so the Gemara is going to ask you a question. Doesn't it mean patur of alasur? Gemara is going to say no, that this means mutar legamre. Completely mutar what he did. We'll get to that in a second in the Gemara. What's important here is that there is a Rashba that commented on this Mishnah. It was then quoted by the Shilte Giborim. And then the Shilte Giborim himself introduces another twist on it. And between this Rashba and the Shilte Giborim, it turns out that tremendous halachot of Shabbat are dependent on what they say here. So I'll read you the Shilte Giborim. It's found on the, the Rif, on the Daf Lamet Chet, Dapei Rif. Shilte Giborim in Ot Gimel says, HaRashpa Katav. HaRashpa wrote, Ve'viyo Dvara Varan. Humagid Mishneh. It's quoted by the Ran, Humagid Mishneh. If he knew beforehand that there was an animal in there. The way we presented it in the Mishnah was that he didn't know that the animal was there. He locks the door and then he realizes that the animal is there. The Rajvah says, even if he knows that there's an animal in there, you're allowed to close the door and lock the door to protect your house, for the security of your house. And what about the animal inside? Even though by closing the door, by definition, you're going to be trapping the deer inside the house. But there, that he can't have in mind 
just to trap the Tzvi. Elish mitkavei nami lishmor abayit. He also has to have in mind that he is going to be shomer the bayit to protect the house, secure the house. The question that arises right away is, well, isn't that a pasigreshe veloyamut? That's what we've said all along, that just because you don't have intent for something doesn't mean it's mutar if it's an inevitable outcome of what you're doing. Over here, by locking the door, we know he's automatically going to trap the tzvi. So even if he intends just to lock the door, but if he knows the tzvi is inside, it's a plus ratio that he's going to lock the tzvi inside. Nevertheless, Tarashba over here says, Mutar, it's fine, it's completely okay. Right, he can't have just Kavanah to be Latsud. He can't have just Kavanah for trapping the animal. But it seems, where he quotes the Rashba, that if he has coming out for both, that it would be fine. Now, Varan, Varamban, Paligele, Varan and the Ramban argue on this position of the Rashba. Visavre, Kishiyodeyak, Shiyesh Tzviba Bayit. If he knows that there's a deer in the house, Kodim Shino, Afopishimit Gaven, the Shmirat Bayit. Even if he intends just to watch the house or secure the house, Vafilo, Loit Gaven, Klaal, Letzirat Tzvi, and he has no intent for the Tzvi at all. You may not lock the door or secure the door. So they're on opposite extremes almost. The Ramban and the Ran say, can't lock the door even if you only intend to lock the door and secure the house if you know that the animal's inside. The Rashba says, as long as you have also intent to lock the house, if you know that it's feasible, you can lock it in. No problem. And then he says, Davi Pasik Kreshe. They asked the question that I presented before. Vashta, the Divya Rashba, Nimtenu Lemedim. From the Rashba, we learn, the Shotegi Borim says, the Afagav, the Kaimalon, the Pasik Reshe Asur, even though in general, we know that, Bayim Rava say, Mode Rabbi Shimon, but Pasik Reshe Veloyamut. Shimon, who is the flag bearer of the position, Davar Shainu Mitkavein is Mutar. Nevertheless, he says, if there's a Pasik Reshe, automatic, inevitable outcome that you're going to do something Asur, then it's a sur. We don't allow you to do something that's darshena with kavain. But what we learn from this Rashba, this is what the Shotei Borim says, that Hainu Davka Shba'oto Masa the Ovid Apostigreshe Enu Mitkavain Ve'Enu Osid Davar Heterimo. That's only in the case of the Apostigreshe that you're not intending, and you don't do something mutar along with it. Aval in Ve'Oto Apostigreshe Shose Osid Gamkein Davar Heterimo. You do something that's mutar along with it. Vit Kavain Gam LeDavar Heter. And you intend for that heter, as afilu ovid posigreshe, umikavein gamlo shari. Then even if there's an inevitable outcome, and you intend for it, it is mutar. That's what he says the Rashba is saying, which is radical. And what you're going to have to explain here, the difference being that when it's dovershein mitkavein, you don't intend the first action. The first action was asur. But if the first action is completely mutar, it's not because it's Dovershain with Kavain, it's Mutar. It's Mutar here to lock your house, to close the door. Irrespective of whether you have Kavanah or don't have Kavanah, it's always Mutar to lock your house. There's a problem now because there's a deer inside. So in that instance, he says that Pasigreshi doesn't apply. Because the case of Pasigreshi is in a case where you're doing something that otherwise would have been a sur, but it's Dovershain with Kavain. You're not intending for it. And then, when you don't intend for it, it becomes an inevitable outcome from there. That's the way the Rashba explains it. And he says, Vili, according to me, this is the Shiltik Mori, the Met, Kikula Hizu, this is a big Kula, Vani Katafti Bichidushai, Kho Maaseh, Shefshar Lasot, Zulata Pasigreshe, any action that you could have done, had it not been for the Pasigreshe, Az, Afilo Avid Oto Maaseh, Afilo Abba Pasigreshe, Shari. That if you do that action, even if it ends up in this Pasigreshe, it's Mutar. Kilo mitkaven lasot v'pasigreshe, because he has no intent for the pasigreshe. 
his intent for this action that's mutar. Virach Tisham says, and I extensively wrote about it there. Umi divrei Rashbas yua gadol ledivarai. And the Rashba, it's a great proof to my position. The Rashba is matir even more than what I said. Because the Rashba says you can have intent for both of them. Whereas the Shote Giborim says as long as you are focused on the mutar action, then we don't worry about the plus the gray shape. But the Rashba says even if you're thinking about the other action as well, it's fine because you did something that's mutar. Now why this Shote Giborim is important is because the Shote Giborim basically introduces this idea that if I am doing something that is what we call derech shigra, something that we do as a course of normal business, something that we do as part of normal life. You're walking down the street. You are opening and closing the door to your house. You are doing things that 99% of the time are completely mutar, have no issues with regards to the Shabbat, and something that you would do all the time. But then all of a sudden you bump into something that is sore because of that. Here in the case where you go in and out of your house a hundred times, open and close the door, lock the door, there's no problem with that. And you would do it normally on Shabbat. All of a sudden now there's a deer inside your house. And you know there's a deer inside your house. Let's take the position of the Shulti Giborim, not as far as the Rashba. You don't care about the deer being inside the house. And you lock your door and you close your door. As far as the Shulti Giborim is concerned, you it is mutar on Shabbat. It's completely fine on Shabbat because you're doing an action that you normally would do. Not only would you normally do it, it's something that would be mutar in any other situation. So over here, just because there's a deer in your house, we're not going to say, don't lock your door this time. Don't close your door this time. That's the position of Shulti Giborim. Where it comes up is, for instance... You're walking down the street on Friday night, and there are these houses that have lights over their driveways in front of the houses that are triggered by motion detectors. And so you walk by the house, and you trigger the motion detector, and you set off the light. According to the Shulti Giborim, that would not be an issue. You're simply walking on the sidewalk. You're doing something that's totally mutar on Shabbat. It's something that you would do anytime. I mean, you do it any Shabbat, you'd walk over there, it's no question. And all of a sudden, somebody has their sensor be too sensitive. And as you walk by the sidewalk, it turns on the light. So now it is a Pusik Reshe, because if you walk there, the light will be triggered. Nevertheless, the way the Shilti Giborim sets it up is that, in that case, it's Mutar Legamre. Because you're doing what is normal, doing an action or activity that is completely Mutar. And therefore, we don't hold you culpable in that case for Pusik Reshe. It would be Mutar Legamre in those situations. So that Shilti Giborim is a big Kiddush in that area. And we still try to avoid those situations where if you know ahead of time, much more difficult, if you know that there's something there and you're going to trigger it, that we tell you to walk around, we tell you to try to avoid it. But from the Shilti Giborim, you might not even have to walk around. You might be able to walk there even knowing that it might trigger it because your intent is to walk there, not to trigger the light, not to set the light off. Now, if you want the light on, that might be a different problem. According to the Ashba, it would be fine. According to the Shilti Giborim, he wouldn't go that far to say that is fine. Where it came up, there are some articles in the Tchumim journal that were written a number of years ago with regards to Yerushalayim, Iratika. Some people are aware, others are not aware, but the entire old city of Yerushalayim is blanketed in CCTVs, closed-circuit TVs. And they're on all the time. You're always being watched, recording every movement in the city. If you look carefully when you walk around, even the old city, you look around, you'll see that there are cameras up everywhere and that they are watching. They capture every movement in the city. They are on on Shabbat as well. And if you walk down to the Kotel on Shabbat, you are being filmed. You are on CCTV. 
Because that's what's there. They're there for the security of the city. And when you walk down from wherever you are in Yushalayim down to the Kotel, you are by definition going to pass in front of a camera. Amongst the arguments there, questions about, is there a problem with the CCTV? Is there a problem with uh, taking pictures and having the picture be in electronic forms? Oh, there are all such a ways to discuss what their issues are and whether it's done or not. One of the issues that comes up is this Shilti Giborim, which is that all you're planning on doing is you're trying to walk to the Kotel. You're trying to do something that's otherwise mutar. You're involved in the action of walking, of getting from one place to the other in what would be otherwise completely mutar and something you would do any time. But because there are cameras there, you're being captured on the cameras. So would that be a problem of Pasuk Reshe? Assuming that getting caught on the camera is problematic. You have to get through that step first. But if you think it's Asur, then this Shilti Giborim plays an important role in that. Because according to the Shilti Giborim, it still would be mutar. It would not be a problem. So this is amongst the issues that comes up in that discussion about the cameras in Yerushalayim in Iratika walking through there on Shabbat itself. That's why this Shiltegi Borim is very, very important. On the other hand, we know that the other Rishonim argue on this Rashba, and they disagree. They have to figure out how to read the Mishnah. Again, most of them read the Mishnah in a case where you didn't know about the Tzvi that's in there. You're unaware that the Tzvi is in there. You only find out about it afterwards. So in that case, they say, even though maybe it's a Pasuk Reshe, it's not a problem because you didn't know about it. Had you known about the Tzvi being there, then it would definitely be problematic. And then that would eliminate this Aheter of the Shiltegi premised on the Rashba. So here the Iran quotes the Rashba. He says, V'dvarav t'muhilim be'enai harbeh. That what he said seems outlandish to me. Heyech evshar, shafilu b'mitkavein l'inol ba'ado ba'aratzvi, which is what the Rashba says, that he wants to lock the door for himself and for the animal. Yehei mutar, chiv mipnei shu tzarich l'inol beito, natir lo lasot melacha b'shabbat. So you can put on an electric lock on your door because you have to close the door on Shabbat. Why does closing the door on Shabbat, which you normally do, automatically allow you to do other melachot? Just because you're locking your door and you normally do that, that shouldn't be matir melachot. He says, I don't understand this. Lo'od, el-shani omer, shafiru she'eno mitkaven l'no'o ba'ad ha-tzvi. And if he has no intent for the tzvi itself, kol she'u yodua she'tzvi b'tocho, if he knows the tzvi is inside, v'i'avshar shlo yeh tzvi nitzod b'tocho, and it's automatic, inevitable, that it'll be captured, asur, that is completely asur. So you see Damran taking a very strong stand against the Rashba. And he says the opposite. Not only is he knocked the Rashba out, he knocks the Shilte Giborim out. Because he says, if you have knowledge of the Tzvi being there, and even if you have no intent for the Tzvi to be trapped, a sewer. At least the Shilte Giborim was one step away from the Rashba. He says, okay, if you're trying for the Tzvi as well, no. The Rashba said, even if you're trying to lock the Tzvi as well. He said, listen, if you're just trying to lock the door, it should be fine. Here the Ran discards that position as well and says it's completely a sewer because that is a case of... Then he brings an example of Pazigresha where the, where Chazal were matir. That was only in the face of Sakanat Vinifashot. But he says, says that nobody would be matir at Pazigresha. There's no reason why it should be mutar over here. So that's the Ran's position. And the Ramban, many of them argue on this Rashba and the Shotegi Borim. So that's what made it more difficult because there are many Rishonim who reject this position. But that position of the Rashba and the Shiltabagim, again, is important in many of these modern-day situations where there are electronic items that are triggered by everyday activities that you're doing. And at least, if you don't go as far as the Rashba when you don't have intent for that item, the Rashba says even if you have intent for that item as well as the normal course of business, then you remove So leaving out that stream of the Rashba, even the Shiltabagim, if you're not intending for the Asur item, 
even though it's triggered by your action, that that might be mutar on Shabbat. It has broad implications for certain of these items on Shabbat. All right, so now we continue with the Gemara on top of Kuf Zayin. Amar Rabbi Ava, Amar Rabbi Chia, Barash, Amar Rav. Nifka Salot Tzipor Tachak Nafav. A bird flies under his clothing. He can sit down. The bird came in by itself. He didn't do anything. Then he could sit with it until nightfall. The equivalent of what happened in our Mishnah, which is the second person sat down when everything was trapped already. He can stay there even after the first person leaves. Same thing over here. The bird caused himself to be trapped by himself. You didn't do the trapping. Now once it's trapped, you don't have to get up to free the bird. You can remain there and keep it trapped in the position that it is and for the remainder of Shabbat. Harishon Chayav Hashini Patur. My love, fill your question. Patur Avalasur. Sounds like from our Mishnah, when the second person sat down and the first one gets up, that the second one is Patur, but still Asur. Look, Patur Umutar. Not only is he Patur, but he's also Mutar to do this. Hachanami Mistavra, that makes sense. Doni Seifa. What's the end of the Mishnah? What is this similar to? Noel et Beito Lishomro. He locks the house to protect him. That last case in the Mishnah is something that we consider to be totally mutar. From that comparison to that last case in the Mishnah, which sounds like it's completely mutar, that indicates to us that the case before, when it said it patur, it meant patur u mutar, not patur ve'asur. Some say it this way. We have a Mishnah that supports this idea. My love, patur mutar. So this second lashon begins with the premise that it's patur mutar. Instead of questioning that statement that was made by Rabbi Avam, Amrav Chiyam, Rabbi Ashi, Amrav, before we brought the Mishnah as a question on it, and then we answered the question by saying, no, it is patur mutar. Here the Gemara is saying this is a siyua, this is a help to their position, because look, in our Mishnah it's patur mutar. It says, no, patur avalasur. Now that in Mishnah means patur avasur. When it says hab mektani seifa, hab lemaz zed dumei the noel beitol the shomro v'nimtzas shvi shemur betocho kal the patur mutar shmamina. Now the Gemara starts with the premise that it's patur mutar, rejects it because the Mishnah says patur, which means patur avasur. But then the Gemara says, if that's the case, what are you going to do with the comparison to that last scenario? That comparison to the last scenario in the Mishnah is clearly patur o mutar. So if it's patur o mutar, that means that the scenario before that's been compared to is also patur mutar, and that's the conclusion. So both the Shonot end up in the same place. It's just a question of how they start. The first one starts with the premise it's patur avasur and brings the last case in the mission to prove that it's mutar. The second Lashon begins with the premise that it's patur mutar. Mar rejects it and says patur vasur, but then it comes back and says, you're right, because the last statement in the Mishnah said, tells you that it's patur mutar. And then we have the statement, Amar Shmuel called patureh de Shabbat patur avalasur. The statement that we've seen from Shmuel back in the beginning of the Masechta. Whenever in the Masechta it says patur, it means patur avalasur. Patur mi de oraita, asur mi de rabanan. Bar mehanitzlat. The exception of these three items. De patur o mutar. There are three times that in the Mishnah it says patur, and it means not just patur, it means completely mutar. Chadaha, one of them is our Mishnah. So that's the case that we just discussed now in our Mishnah, that's one of them. Umimai the patur mutar, and how do you know in our Mishnah the patur means patur mutar? Because of the proof that we brought all along here, which is the last line of the Mishnah. The last line of the Mishnah compares it to this case, where locks the house, and he finds out that there's a deer inside lock, which was completely mutar, that which it did was mutar, and therefore so too, in this case, where the second individual sits down in front of the first individual, even when the first individual gets up, the second person who sat down did nothing wrong. 
Because when he sat down, he did nothing wrong. Just because the first person leaves doesn't make him culpable for Tzad. He did not do the Malach of Tzad. The Malach of Tzad was already done. If it's already done, and he simply reinforces it, he simply continues it, maintains the status quo, there's no problem with that. Similar to when the bird flies into your clothing, under your clothing, and you sit down, the bird trapped itself. You're sitting there just maintains that status quo, and that's why it's mutar. The other case is vida. Mapis mursa bishabat. Someone who has to release liquid on Shabbat. They have something on their body, whether it's a pus that is stuck inside, whether it's an infection, whatever it is, they need to drain it out because it's painful. Or the Rishonim discussed about makom tsar, but it's a place where it's painful, and he wants to release whatever's in there so the liquids come out. If you burst it, or you open it up in order to make an opening, an opening defined in halacha that's problematic on Shabbat is something that's used both for egress as well as entering. It has to be in both directions. And it be something that lets out and allows to enter. If you're making it a two-way street, which is that you want the item to drain out, as well as the fact is that you want to get air in there, you want other things to go in there, whatever it is that you want to enter to cure the situation, that would be problematic. On the other hand, if he simply wants to use it as a drain, a one-way street, then patur. Now, truthfully, patur here should be patur avavasur, because you're doing a petach, but a unidirectional petach, which is that you just want it to exit, you just want the stuff to drain out. In any other situation, we would say that, that is patur aval asur. In this situation, it's patur mutar mimai, the patur mutar, that's not. Machat shayad One may pick up a needle, a small needle, in order to remove a splinter from someone's hand. So again, the machat, whether that's a dover asur, carried on Shabbat, even though it's muksa. And on top of that, you're allowed to push the splinter out, even though you're going to create an opening by pushing the splinter out. Because you simply want the splinter out. You want it to exit from your finger, or wherever it is. You don't want to open up a doorway to let it in. In both of these cases, the mitigating factor is tsar, is pain. Which is that, it's a, number one, as Tosafot points out, it's in a tzricha the gufa. It's shari l'chatchilo b'mokom tsar. Even though general melech shein tzricha gufa is a sur, that's an isur d'rabanan in melech shein tzricha gufa. Rabbi Shimon believes melech shein tzricha gufa is a sur mi d'rabanan. The rabanan waved that isur when there's tsar, when there's pain. It's waved because of the pain. And helping the person out, the rabanan waved the isur d'rabanan. And that's why it's mutar here. V'idach, the last one is a tzad nachash b'shabbat. Someone who traps a snake on Shabbat. If he's doing it in order that the snake will not bite him, if he's doing it for medicinal reasons, he's trapping the snake because he wants the venom from the snake, he wants it for medicinal reasons, then he's chayav, because then he's trapping it for trapping the snake. In the case where he's doing it simply to block the snake from attacking him, then it's mochashen the gufa, or possibly davashen umikavein. So then it's mu patur umimai the patur mutar. How do you know that this patur means mutar? It's not. Fim karalaner bishvishlotechos bikora. You'll have to turn a pot upside down on top of the candle to block the candle from catching fire on the ceiling. Balatzoashol katan and on the excrement of a miner. Balakrav shlotishach. And on a scorpion, so that it will not bite you. So we see that you're allowed to do this, you're allowed to trap, in the sense, a scorpion, so it won't bite you, because, and over there, the Mishnah is saying, do it, it's telling you what you can do. It's not telling you what you can't do, it's telling you what you can do. It says, mutar, to do it, it's interesting here, because the Gemara in Brachot differentiates between a snake and an akrav. Which one is dangerous, that one is dangerous, and one is not so dangerous. Between a snake and an akrav, and over there, the Gemara differentiates there, when you're davening, whether you're allowed to move. 
if you are attacked by a snake or an akrav, because one of them bites, one of them doesn't bite, Gemara makes a differentiation. So if you look in the Gota Bach, it says, don't understand. The Terachiyom in Gemara Brachot, Perkein Omdim, Aval Matzati B'Tosvot, Antav Gimel, Barmahani Tlat, Tekan, Einatam Bishum Sakana. The reason here is not because of danger, Rak, Mikoach, Mlacha, Dein Tzarech Lugufa, Inkeim, Bezayin, Chiluk, Benachash, Leakrav. If the whole issue here, it's not because of danger, if it's Sakana and Nefashot, then of course everything is Mutar, but it's Sakana and Nefashot. And number two is, then he says, I run into a problem, because the Gemara Brachot says, one of them is Sakanat Nefashot, one of them is not the Sakanat Nefashot. Why isn't that differentiation arise here? He says, because the whole problem here is, it's Mlacha, Sheinat, Srichad, Gufa. We're only dealing with a Dinder Abanan now. We're dealing with a Dinder Abanan, according to Rabbi Shimon, then we don't start worrying about how dangerous, or what danger is. If you're afraid that it's going to bite you, you're allowed to protect yourself, because it's Mlacha, Sheinat, Srichad, Gufa. And Hamim waved that in this instance. Right, now we begin the next parak. Shmona Shratzim Ha'amurim Batorah. There are eight Shratzim that are listed in the Torah. Those eight Shratzim have a special status in terms of Tumah. They have a din of Tumah, and they are unique. The Torah in Parshat Achremot lists these eight Shratzim that are unique and Tmeim. The eight Shratzim that are mentioned in the Torah are the Acholed, which is a mongoose or a weasel, Ha'achbar, which is a mouse, Ve'atzav, which is a toad, Hanaka, which is a hedgehog or a porcupine, Hakoach, which is a lizard or a chameleon, Halita'ah, which is a lizard, the chomet, which is a snail, and the tinshamet, which is a mole, at least according to the way that Rashi translates these words in the psukim. So at Zadan, you trap them, and if you injure them, chayav, then you are chayav, as opposed to bashar, shkatsim, uremasim, any other creepy, crawly thing, anything else in that category, patur. If you damage them, you are patur. But Zadan, on the other hand, if you trap them, if it's because you want that item, chayav. Shalom litzorech, if you're trying to protect yourself or block them, then patur, then you are patur. Yes, we're talking about Shabbat over here. Uh, what's the difference between them? First of all, the Shmonot Shratzim are normally captured for their skins and utilized for their skins. Therefore, if you trap them, the default status is that you're trapping for using them. So unless it's some otherwise, then the default is that you're trapping them to utilize them and you'd be chayav. On the other hand, the other shkatsim and ramasim, the default is that people don't trap them. And so here you have to have specific intent to trap them to use them in order to be chayav. The default will be if you're trapping them, it's to prevent some danger or some sort of preventative measure, and then it'll be mlachash and tzrich gufa, and that's why it's patur in the Mishnah. That's number one. The second one is the issue of chavala. Chavala is injuring them. One case you're chayaf for injuring them, the other one you're not chayaf for injuring them. The difference is that these shmona shratim have skin. They have skin, and therefore if you injure them, when the blood is released, it has some impact. We'll see in one second here in the Rashi. Whereas by the other shkatsim u rimasim, that is not the case, because they lack a skin, and therefore when you injure them, whatever malacha is being done here, does not happen to them. That's the way the mission is laid out. Rashi says, what's the problem with injuring such animals? Not killing them. What's the problem with injuring such animals? He brings two possibilities about what the problem is. One possibility is, it's tolda dishochit. It's a derivative of doing shkita. What's the shkita? Shkita is that you injure an animal in a irreparable way. When you check the animal, it's going in a direction that will never get repaired again. So it's over here. This injury, 
This Kabbalah that you do is irreversible. And because of that, you are Chaya because of the Tolda of Shochet. On the other hand, he brings a second possibility, which is it's a problem of Soveya, problem of dying on Shabbat. Because you injure the animal, the blood traps or sits between the skin and the flesh of the animal. And in doing so, it colors the skin red. So you're now being Soveya, the skin of the animal. Those are the two possibilities that Rashi brings. Tosafot over here says, the one that he says is Mitrum Nitilat Nishama Ikar. He says that Nitilat Nishama is the focus over here. This issue of Soveya is not the real issue. Discussed this early on. Rashi and Tosafot discussed this early on in terms of, there they talk about Shkita. What's the problem with Shkita? So over there, the Rabbeinu Tam believes that Pramush Kita is what we call Nitilat Nishama. And same thing with the Nudri, he says, Mali mate ma'at, mali mate harbe. What's the difference between if you kill someone a lot or you kill them a little? Then an injury is just a step towards the ultimate killing of somebody or something. Whereas Rashi over there discusses again this issue of possibly Tzoveya. The problem of uh, that the skin is being covered by the blood that's being released. And maybe that's the problem here. Tosafot says that I think that Rashi says Nitilat Shema is right. And he says it again back on Daf Ayin Hay. That's the problem. The Gemara is going to get into more discussion about this issue. In terms of Shabbat, there's only Chavalah if they have skin. If it's Tzoveya, for sure you need a skin because if it's Tzoveya. By Nitilat Nishama, without an or that there is no such concept of Kabbalah, that you can't injure them in an irreparable way. Because whatever injury is done will resolve itself. It will repair itself, heal itself. And therefore you won't have the problem of it being Kabbalah that is irreversible. If he has a chayin of that are in his possession already, a tzadan patur, trap them your patur because they're trapped already. They're already in your possession. They could be domesticated. If they're not domesticated, they've already been put into an area that's considered to be trapped. Therefore, if you grab them, then it's patur. If you injure them, then you are chayav, because by these animals, there clearly is a skin on them in a chayav. Midiktani, a chovel ba'en chayav. Because our mission says that if you injure them, you're chayav. Miklao, the iduor. The conclusion you must come to is that they all have skin. That's why metashmon ha'shvatsim. Mantana. Who's the author of our Mishnah who says that all eight of the Shvatsim have skin? All eight of the Shvatsim have skins on them. The Rabbanan could be the authors of our Mishnah because the Rabbanan who say that there are only four of the eight Shvatsim that have skin to them because of the way the Pasuk is divided up. There are four mentioned in one Pasuk and there's four mentioned the other pasuk and then there's a limud which is again not so important to us today that says that pasuk or that end the pasuk is only written by four of them so now that ela comes to exclude the other four that are written in the other pasuk that's where the rabbanan learned so now the gemara says that's only by but these are the ones that are tamei for you the rabot there it comes to include teach you that their skin has the same din as their flesh. Meaning that if you take in a ka'adasha, which is a lentil size of that sheretz, you'd be tamay, whether it's from the skin or whether it's from the flesh. Ella, the Indian Shabbat, I feel the Even the Rabbanon agreed that they have skin. They're not disagreeing that all eight shretzim have skin. What they're disagreeing about is whether that skin has the same status as the flesh of the sheretz. In the pasuk that says, Those four, they have that special din that their flesh and their skins are identical with regards to Tumah. The other four, they have skin. It's just that they don't have that din. Their skin is a separate entity from their flesh. And therefore, their flesh would be Tumah, but not the skins. They really don't argue by Shabbat. Yeah, do you see Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Nuri says by all the Shmona Shvatsim 
that a chovel ban is chayav, because he thinks they all have skin. It's only skins to those that were enumerated by the chachamim. What are those that are enumerated by the chachamim? That's the anaka, the koach, halita'an, the chomet. Those four, orotehem, kibsaram. Adarabba. Hey, it's just the opposite. The mashimaru chachamim, in the hamor. The ones that the chachamim enumerated don't have skin. The or and the basar are not separated, don't have a different din, except for those that were not enumerated by the chachamim. He does a double negative. He reads it as a double negative and says, well, the or and the basar are not separate, except for those that were not enumerated by the chachamim. So that means that the or is chaluk from the basar for those that were not enumerated by the chachamim. So the ones that are listed, that their or is like their basar, it's as if they have no skin to them. That means that the others that do have a separate skin and basar, which is what we're after here. We're after here somebody that has a separate skin. So that means that the ones that are coming were not moneh, which is the chulad, the achbar, the tzav, and the tinshamet. Those four items, their skin is separate. Whereas the anaka, the koach, halita'an, the chomet, all of those ain't oran chaluk mi basar. Their or and their basar are considered to be one, and therefore the skin is not relevant in that case. By in order to solve the problem about mashmanu chachamim, we read the bright as a double negative. That's not what the Brayta says. The Brayta says, You're changing it to a negative formulation, which isn't there. This is what it means. The or is not mitameke basar, except for those that are enumerated by the chachamim. But michlal, from that we can infer, that means that the other four also, Rabbi Yochanan believes that the orot are mitameh. We don't have a statement, Rabbi Yochanan Menuri Omer, Chetshretzim Yeshleim Orot, Velo Mitamim. They all have skins, and the skins are not mitameh. So that creates an issue for Rabbi Rabba's solution. So now we have a third solution to this problem. This is the way you should read it. There is no or, there's no skin. For those that are enumerated by the Chachamim, because the skin is like the flesh. And by Shabbat, you still do not have an argument between them. So what you had here was you had three attempts to explain this Brayta. We have a problem that we bring a Brayta that suggests that Rabbi Yochum and the Chachamim are arguing about these Shkatsim, these eight Shretzim, about what their status is with regards to whether they have skin or don't have skin. That's what the implications, that's what it seems the Brayta is saying. So then we have first have to read the, the Brayta. We have trouble reading the Brayta because... The ones enumerated by the Chachamim do not have an or. Yet, what the Brightest says is that those that are enumerated by the Chachamim have an or. So how do we deal with that? So Bayou tries to amend the Brightest and say, look, I'll read it as a double negative. Instead of reading it as a positive, say read it as a double negative and you'll get where you want to be. Which is that the ones that are not enumerated by the Chachamim do have an or. If you read it as a double negative, you'll get there. Now, Abaye has solved the problem with regards to Tuma, an explanation of the Brighta. But he does leave the question that we had before in place, which is that it sounds like from this, the Indian Shabbat, that the Chachamim do argue on Rabbi Yochud Menuri. The latter two answers, that of Rova and of Rav Adar Barmatna, actually address both the Tumah issue as well as the Shabbat issue, because their explanation within Tumah is specifically a Machloket in Tumah, does not have repercussions or extend over to the issues of Shabbat. We could still say something else by Shabbat. Rava says that's not what the Brightest says. You have to read what the Brightest says. Rava says, the Brightest says, Linyan Tum'ah, Ein Or Mitamei Kibasar. When it comes to Tum'ah, the Or does not have the same status as the Basar, except to those four that were enumerated by the Chachamim, which is true. The problem with that is the inference that you would draw from that is that Rabbi Yochan Menuri thinks everything is Tamei, which is not true. So again, you run yourself into a problem. You got rid of the Shabbat problem, but now you got a problem with Tum'ah. 
Then we have Ada by Ava's solution, which deals with both Shabbat and Tumah. He deals with Shabbat because he says that it's only time at the Inyan Tumah. He says, Hagamim Marim the Inyan Tumah. Then, how does he deal with the other problem? Ain or Lamashimanu Chachamim. There is no skin to those that are enumerated by the Chachamim. And by saying that, he solved this problem. He explained it in Tumah. The ones that are enumerated by the Chachamim don't have an or. Top of that, has no issue for Shabbat. Vakatalin Shabbat, lo plige. So we've solved our problem now. And said the possibility that the Chachamim agreed to Rabbi Yochum and Nuri by Shabbat, that they have an or. They have a skin, and you would be Chayav on Shabbat if you injured any of the Shmona Shvetzim. Umar says, Vatanya, don't we have another bright tzad, echad miyachet shretzim, someone who traps one of the eight shretzim, amurim baturah, chuvel ben chayav. If you injure them, you're chayav, bishretzim sheyesh lemorot, with those shretzim that have skins. Be'ezuhi chabura sheno chuzeret. How do we know that you've injured them irreparably, irreversibly? Is that if it's an injury, it's sarar hadam, If the blood gathers, even though it's not exiting, it's trapped between the skin and the flesh, that is an injury that will not go away, that will not reverse itself. And Rabbi Yochanan responds, and it says, All eight of the Shretzim have orot. Okay, so now we have a problem. We have Rabbi Yochanan and we have a Tanakama who's arguing on Rabbi Yochanan Who's the Tanakama? The most likely author of the Tanakama's position is the Chachamim. So if it's the Chachamim, again, we see they're arguing in Shabbat. The Rabbi Yochanan says that all eight are problematic on Shabbat. Chachamim is limiting that. So I'm Ravashi, man Tanakamo. Who's the Tanakamo here? It is Rabbi Yehuda. Dazal Bater Gishta. The Rabbi Yehuda, he does not learn like the Chachamim in the Pasuk. He goes after Gishta, which is the feel. But the Gishta here means it feels like wood. It feels like it's hard. And so if it's skin is thick and hard, then it has a real skin to it. But... If it is thin, a thin skin, and it doesn't have a full-fledged skin there, it's not hard, then that's not classified as a skin. So he does it not by the Chachamim's drush of the way the Pasuk divided, four here, four here. He just talks practically. If you touch the animal, if it has something that's real, feels like a skin on it, then it has a skin. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So the difference for him is the Anaka, the Koach, and the Chomet, he believes they don't have skin. He, as opposed to the Chachamim, moves the Lita'ah over from the category of not having skin to having skin. So he, instead of having four that have skin, he has on the additional lita'a, the lizard, to also have a skin. We know that he differentiates between them, and he'll be the author of this position. He'll argue on Shabbat. Just like he argues by Tumah, with regards to what has a skin or not, because he doesn't have a pasuk. He's not doing it through a limud. He's simply saying, I, I feel the animal, and I feel like it has a thick skin. That's a skin. If it feels like it has a thin skin, doesn't have a real cover to it, then it's not a skin. So if his issue is simply a argument of logic, that should apply both to Tumah and Shabbat. I mean, we have a drusha, and their drusha is Elam Tameim Lachem. These are those that are Tameim. You could say that their position is unique to Tumah. doesn't apply by Shabbat. By Shabbat, they'll agree to Rabbi Yochum and That's what the Gemara is attempting to say here. The Chamim and Rabbi Yochum and by Shabbat agree. It's Rabbi Yehuda who is the one that disagrees. That's not. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Halitta'a The lizard has the same din as the weasel, and therefore it has a skin to it. In the end, then, we will have, according to Rabbi Yehuda, five that are considered to have orot are the chuda, the choled, or the chuda, which is a weasel, the achbar, the mouse, the tzav, which is a toad, shamet, which is a mole. Those will all have skins to them. And the ones that will not have skins are the anaka, which is, whether it's a hedgehog or a porcupine, koach, which is a lizard or chameleon, and the lita'ah, according to Rabbi that does have skin, and according to the chamim, does not have skin. So now the Gemara moves on. Aval Rabbanan, the pligale de Yochanan. When it comes to Rabbanan, they're arguing Rabbi Yochanan Yuri, lean tumah. That's by tumah. Lean in Shabbat. Modulei by Shabbat, they will agree to him. Iachi. So if that's the case, hi divrei Rabbi Yochanan Yuri, 
when the Brayta concluded that whoever's arguing on the Tal and the Talmud is Rabbi Yochanan Minuri, Divrei Rabbi Yochanan Umachluku Tomi Bayit. It's not just Rabbi Yochanan Minuri who argues on Rabbi Yudah, it's even the Chachamim that argue on Rabbi Yudah, because by Shabbat, they agreed to Rabbi Yochanan Minuri's position. So Umar says, Tznei, amend the Brayta to say, Divrei Rabbi Yochanan Minuri Umachluku Tomi It's Rabbi Yochanan Minuri and the Chachamim that are arguing on the Tanakama, who is Rabbi Yudah. Bavine Levi Mi Rabbi. Levi asked this question from Rabbi, Minayin l'chabura she'enu chuzeret. How do you know that a chabura is irreversible, that it is irreparable? Dichtiv, efoch kushi oro, v'namer chabar berotav. Does a kushi, if someone of dark complexion, dark skin, does his skin all of a sudden change colors? V'namer, whether a leopard, it's spots, or a tiger, it's stripes. Namer is translated sometimes as a leopard, sometimes as a tiger. We'll just use tiger for the sense here, but it means the same thing in both these situations. The mashal is understood in either way. Does a tiger change its stripes? These are things that are permanent. They don't just go away. Where it says, my chabur berotav, what does it mean, it's stripes? If you think, like I'm suggesting here, it means stripes. Hi, benamer. Chabarburotav. Namer gvanav mi bayle. It shouldn't say it's spots. It should really say it's colors. It doesn't change its colors. Ela kukushi. What does it mean? Like, like the kushi. Ma orodu kushi eno chuzeret. Just like the skin of someone of a darkened complexion does not change. Af chabura. They're learning the word not to be chabarburotav, meaning it's spots or it's stripes, but rather injuries that do not reverse. Talking about by the namer, an injury will not reverse itself because it has skin. Therefore, if the blood is trapped between the skin and the flesh, that coloring, that chaburah, in it won't go back. And that's the way the pasuk is being stated. Again, the statements in the pasukim are rhetorical questions. Does such and such change? Does such and such change? The simple reading of the pasuk is, how does the tiger change its stripes? But the way the Gemara is learning it is that that can't be the case, because then it should have said, does it change its colors? Because to be parallel with the kushi, with the darker complexion skin, it's talking about the color, the pigment of the skin. It's not talking about the fact that it has stripes, because it has different colored stripes on it, but that's not what it's suggesting. What's suggesting over here is that the chabura is irreversible. That's the limud that Rabbi said to Levi in response to his question. What we have here basically is, we had a machloket about which of the shmona shrotzim have skins to them. That was the machloket. We have three different opinions with that. We have the chachamim, Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri, and we have Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda is the simplest of them. He says that there are five of these shratzim that have skin, it's based on touch. You touch them and you feel that they're thick and they hard skin to them, they have skin. Five out of the eight have skins to them, and that's it. It's called skin because you touch it and you know it's a skin. That'll have equal application to Tumah and Shabbat, because that's what matters. By Tumah, it matters if it has a skin. If it has a skin, then its skin is not tamed like its flesh. And number two is, by Shabbat, if you're chovel, if you injure them, you're going to be chayav, because it has a skin. That's Rabbi Yehuda's position. Rabbi Yochan and Nuri is on the other side of the spectrum, which is that everything has a skin, period. Everything there has a skin, and their skin is separate from their basar. If the skin is separate from their basar, number one, le'inyan tumah, there is no tumah by the skin like the basar. And number two is le'inyan shabbat, if you're chovel by him, you're going to be chayav, because they all have skins. The question is the Chachamim's position. The Chachamim say, four of them have skin, and four of them do not have skin, based on the division of the pasuk, which is, These are those that are tamei for you. So the ones that are, the skin is not separate from the basar, for the chachamim, for the four that are mentioned in the pasuk, of which is the kulad, the achbar, the tzavan, and tinshamit. Those four don't have skin separate from the skins, because it's Elohim Tameim Lechem. Their basar and their skin are considered to be equally Tamei. But the implications from that are the other four don't have that din. The other four have a din where their skin is separate from the basar, and their skin will not be Tamei like the basar. 
That's the statement of the Chachamim. The question is, what does that mean, the Gabay Shabbat? And so we first thought that if the Chachamim believed that those four have skin, those four don't have skin, that means that the Indian Shabbat, the same din would be applicable. Whatever they think has skin for Tumah and it's not Tamei like the Basar will also be Chayav and Shabbat. The two will be correlated. The Gemara's answer is no. Chachamim is Xerat HaKatuf. It's based on the Pasuk. They all have skins. It's just the Pasuk designates these four that their skin is like their Basar and it's Tamei like their Basar. The other four don't have that din. But all of them have skin on them. And since all of them have skin on them, when it comes to Shabbat, you're going to be chayav to be chobel. Just like Rabbi Yochum Menurah, you're going to be chayav on all eight of them. And that's the conclusion of the Gemara, that all eight, you're chayav on Shabbat, according to Rabbi Yochum Menuri and the Chachamim. The only one who disagrees is Rabbi Yehuda, who thinks five of them have skin, and those you would be chayav on Shabbat for. The three that don't have skin, you're not going to be chayav on Shabbat for, just like by Tumah. Right now, the Gemara says, "Vishash katsim v'ramasim." horgan chayav. If you kill them, you are chayav. If you injure them, you're not going to be chayav. Chabala is not chayav, but if you kill them, you're chayav. Mantan, who's the author of our Mishnah? I'm Rabbi Yirmiyah, Rabbi Eliezer. He Tanya, Rabbi Eliezer, Omer Reg Kina b'Shabbat, Goreg Gamal b'Shabbat. Someone who kills a louse on Shabbat is like killing a camel. The reason he uses camel here is simply because it's a large animal. It's clear that you're killing it, not because there's anything special about a camel. The Chachamim only argue on Rabbi Eliezer with regards to a louse. They no pray or because it doesn't reproduce. Any other creepy crawly thing, small item that reproduces, they would agree that killing it on Shabbat is problematic. So it's not just Rabbi Eliezer. The Chachamim could be the authors of our Mishnah. They both learn it out from the Elim that were used in the Mishkan, to make the Orot Techashim, that are on top of the Mishkan, they came from the Elim Adumim, from these red rams, and so they're going to learn out Shechita of that animal from the Elim of the Mishkan. Beleza, Sarak Elim. They have to be similar to the Elim that were used in the Mishkan. My Elim she'esh le'em itilat neshama. Of course, she'esh bon itilat neshama. If you kill the animal, that's what you're culpable for. You kill the Elim, that's why it was a sword to kill on Shabbat. And that's anything that you're killing. You kill a louse, that's a problem on Shabbat. Rabban and Tzavik Elim. Rabban also say, it's just like the Elim. Ma Elim de parim ravim, just like Elim reproduce. I've called the prayer of So too, any animal, any live being that reproduces... That's your chayav for on Shabbat. Something that doesn't reproduce, you're not going to be chayav for Shabbat. And what does that imply? It implies that lice do not reproduce. We know that's not true. We know lice lay eggs, and they do reproduce. The assumption of the chachamim, I'm not going to go into it so deeply here, but it can be proved throughout Shas that the chachamim here believe, and it's true in many of the Rishonim, in spontaneous generation. And that these animals, the lice here, are spontaneously generated. They grow out of the hair. They grow out of the skin. They grow out of certain items. They are not reproducing. They are not generated by reproduction like any other animal. They just appear. They come out. The Gemara has in other places of animals that exit the ground that are made out of half mud, half animal. And as they exit the ground, they become a full animal. And this idea of spontaneous generation. And then there are many places in Shas that it appears, and the Rishonim almost clearly say it in many of these places, that they think there is such a concept of spontaneous generation. And that's what's making the difference. The question is today, where we know that lice do reproduce, is there a problem killing a louse on Shabbat? So some will say yes, that there is a problem because it's prayer vain. Others say that their reproduction is microscopic. And even though the premise of the Chachamim is wrong, which is that they don't reproduce, some argue that this is what the Chachamim meant, which is more difficult. But others say even if the Chachamim didn't mean it, this is true as well, which is that the reproduction is microscopic. So even though they reproduce, but since the reproduction is microscopic, something that's not visible to the naked eye, it's not meaningful on Shabbat. The only thing that's meaningful on Shabbat is something that is visible to the naked eye. 
We don't ask you in halacha to look at things that are microscopic. So, for instance, if there is something in the water, bacteria in the water, we don't say you can't drink the water if it's not visible. It's only if that item is visible in the water and you can see it, does it become problematic. Maybe the same with borer, but it filters on Shabbat. If you're taking out things that are not visible in the water, that may not be a problem on Shabbat because it's not visible to the naked eye. The same thing here. Even though the lice reproduce, the fact is that they don't do it in a manner that's visible to the naked eye. And that's why it may be that you're patur on Shabbat for killing the louse. Not because it doesn't reproduce, but because it's just not visible. Again, whether that's what the Chachamim meant or not, is much more questionable, but that might be why the halacha still stands today, even though the pruravu is not true. And is it really true that the lice don't reproduce? That Hashem sits there and He feeds, He sustains the karnei reimim from those big animals, to the smallest of animals. So that's actually when they hear at Son, that's for Panosa, they mention in there that Hashem is Zan Mikanei Ramim Abetekinim. It's mentioned there. What do you see there? Eggs of the lice. So where it says, no, Minuhu Demikrei Betekinim. There's a species called Betekinim. Betekinim doesn't mean the eggs of the lice. There's something called Betekinim. Vatanya, Tefuye U Betekinim. We have this writer which seems to have an item called Tefuye and then a Betekinim. Minuhu demikre beitzeginim. Again, the Gemara says it's a species with that name. It's not telling you that they have eggs. Vare parush de What about the parush? It's like a flea that does reproduce. Vitanya. Atzad parush b'shabbat. One traps a person. Rabbi Lezer mechayev Rabbi Yeshua puter. Amravashi tzida hariga karamit. You're asking from trapping to killing? Aka no pligi Rabbi Lezer Rabbi Yeshua. Ela demar sever dover sheim b'minon nitzod chayav. Demar sever pator. These aren't things that you normally trap. So the question is, if you trap them on Shabbat, are you chayav? So Rabbi Leza says, even if it's not normally trapped, you're chayav. Rabbi Yeshua says, it's not something you normally trap, and you're trapping it, then you're not chayav on Shabbat, you're patur on Shabbat. But, killing, I feel Rabbi Yeshua moder. Rabbi Yeshua's going to agree that even though it's not considered trapping, you're not going to kill this item on Shabbat. Nobody disagrees that killing the parush on Shabbat is problematic. Right, Who's the author of our Mishnah? It has to be that Rabbi Shimon is the author of the Mishnah, who says, is patur, because here he's doing tzeda, not for the purpose of taking the animal. He's doing tzeda to keep the animal away, or for a purpose other than trapping and taking this animal. So some people put it on this, right, that this statement that the author is Rabbi Shimon, we have Rabbi Yudah saying Rabbi Shimon is the author of the Mishnah. So some say, that's our Mishnah. Others say it on this Mishnah. Someone who releases liquid from whatever it is, a boiled blister on Shabbat, if it's to make an opening, then you're If it's to drain it, patur. Who's the author of this? It's also Rabbi Shimon, because here you're not opening up the petach for the purpose of a petach. You're opening it to drain it. To drain it is amlocha she'en tzvichad gufa. That's not the primary purpose of a petach in the Mishkan, according to Tosvod, according to Rashi. You're trying to be remove something, not trying to make something. And therefore, it's not chayav on Shabbat, according to Rabbi Shimon, because it's mocha she'en tzvichad gufa, and therefore patur le'avidah, And some say it on this Mishnah. It's not nachash b'Shabbat. Someone who traps a snake on Shabbat, imitaseg boshlo yishachenu, if he's doing it so it won't bite him, patur. Then he's patur. Im if it's for medicinal reasons, chayav. Again, we saw this before. Mantana, who's the author of this position, Rabbi Yudha Marav, Rabbi Shimoni, this is author of Rabbi Shimon, Damar, Malach Shinsukalugufa, patur aleah. And if you do Malach Shinsukalugufa, you patur. What's interesting here is, two of these Mishnayot were brought by Shmuel before and said that it doesn't just mean patur, it means mutar. Here, Rav says that it's Rabbi Shimon's opinion. The question is, what does he mean? 
Does he mean it's Rabbi Shimon's opinion, it's Patur Abel Asur, and he disagrees with Shmuel on that point? Or does he say it's Rabbi Shimon, and therefore it's Patur, and that's why it's Mutar? Because Rabbi Shimon brings it down to a level of the Rabbanan, and then for the dispensation of protecting yourself for pain, we're going to say that it's Mutar. Which is what Tosafot discussed before. Even according to Yehuda, what's the din here? That's the top Tosafot on the top of the Amur Aleph of the Zah. So now, Gemara says, Amr Shmuel, as Sholeh Dag Menayam, someone who pulls a fish out of the water, Kevin Shiavesh, if it dries out a sella's worth, that coin the size of a sella, he is chayav. It was captured already. It's in a situation where it's already nitzod before Shabbat. And all you're doing is taking it out and killing it, basically, on Shabbat. As soon as a sella's worth dries out, the Gemara says that's irreversible death for a fish. And it will, even if you put it back in the water, it will not come back to life. And we have to be having, it has to be between its fins that it dries out that much. Doesn't have to be literally dried out. Even if it touch it, that it is liquidy, it's mucusy in that area. When you pull your finger away, the mucus pulls away from it. That's considered to be dried out enough that the fish is in an irreversible position and it will not live again. So that would be considered the tilat neshama, killing the fish in Shabbat, which is a problem. Person sticks his hand into the womb of an animal. He detaches. The fetus that is inside, he basically causes the animal to miscarry. Chayav. He is chayav, my time. Amrav abar hamduri asravali. But Hamduri explained to me. Lava marav sheshet. Didn't Rav Sheshet say, Hi, man, the talish kishuta mihizmi. Someone who pulls away. She says, humlun. That grows. That mireach hakarka. It grows from the, he calls it the smell of the ground. That it draws its sustenance from the smell of the ground. If you pull it off, from these thorn bushes, you're pulling something off from where it's growing location. You're removing something from where it grows. If you detach something from where it grows, that's called Here, even though the item that's growing, this shuta, is not growing a plant in the ground, it's like a moss or some sort of fungus that's growing there. When you pull it off the plant, you're chayav because you're taking it away from its growing location. Someone who puts off triot, mushrooms, fungus, from the svata deliba ma'im on the bucket. He puts it off the rim of the bucket. When you have water on the bucket, after a while, there's algae that grows there, or fungus that grows there. If you pull it off, you're achayim mishum oker davar migidulo. You're taking something from its growing location. Someone who pulls something out of a pot that has a hole in it, because it's attached to the ground. You take it out of a pot that doesn't have a hole in it, Patur. Why isn't that called? That's where it's growing. It's growing in the pot. That's where it says, That's not the normal way it grows. This is the normal way it grows. If you have a pot planted in the ground, yes, it grows inside the pot. But the normal way to grow is from the ground itself. You need nutrition or nutrients from the ground. Therefore, when you pull it out of the pot, it's not called Oker Davar Megidulo. On the other hand, this is the natural way for the fungus, the algae, to grow. It says it's the natural way for it to grow. When you pull it off, you're Oker Davar Megidulo. And then you'll be Chayav on Shabbat. Okay, we'll stop over here.